Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast. My name is Tally Rye and today I am joined by a fellow personal trainer, Today's guest is Andrew Stevenson. He is a personal trainer based here in the UK who has been sharing his own journey online of recovering from an eating disorder. I think this is sadly very rare and we do not have enough conversation and discourse around men and eating disorders and body image concerns in the same way that we as women, and you know on this podcast, we talk about this stuff often. This is a regular conversation that is had. So I'm very, very grateful for Andrew coming on today and really opening up to you. Of course, with that being said, let's just preface this by saying, content warning, we will be discussing eating disorders and some behaviors. So just um, a heads up for that. And if you are struggling with um, eating disorders um, and specifically from the perspective um, of the male experience then please check out the link below in the show notes to beat the charity beat website and their work on on men and eating disorders but before we get into today's episode it is time for train happy trooper of the week <laughs> This week's train happy moment comes from Claire via email. Claire says, So, my train happy moment happened this morning. Bear with, it's a roundabout story. I've been trying to make some red currant jam for the family for Easter. We are moving and I was emptying out the contents of our freezer drawer. I was watching it meticulously, up until the point I had to nip to the loo. In which time, it went from not set and liquid to black, burnt and destroying my favourite pan in about two minutes. Lesson learned, jam does not allow loo breaks at crucial moments. I have been in therapy previously and for those of you who have been in therapy will understand when I say that this jam disaster triggered my core belief of not feeling good enough. Cue a lot of tears and self-loathing as my husband desperately tried to salvage my pan with so much hot water and washing up liquid. He did save it, bless him, and it actually looked better than when I started making my jam. Having been in therapy and knowing what was happening, I had a decision to make. I could either let the core belief or, you know, run the show, or I could try and do something positive. We have recently bought an indoor spin bike, only a year late to the party. So I decided to spend 10 minutes on the bike listening to, in my opinion, the best music in the world, the Hamilton soundtrack, Claire, I'm going to stop you there. Hamilton, it never fails. It never fails. I said I could stop if I didn't feel like it, but I ended up doing 35 minutes and felt epic. I was bopping away to wait for it and your shot and generally just having a whale of a time singing at the top of my voice, much to my husband's dismay, as I have to admit, I have not been gifted with the ability of to sing in tune. 
I then had a shower, went to the shop, bought more fruit and had a second go at the jam and this time I didn't burn it. I think it's important to say that exercise is not therapy. Therapy is therapy and exercise is exercise. But I found it can be helpful if you don't have access to an on-call therapist 24-7 and can release endorphins which lift your mood. It gave me time to think, reframe my thoughts and lose myself in some amazing music. Claire, thank you so much for writing in and sharing that train happy moment with us. I think it was so important to, to differentiate the difference between therapy and exercise, but also what a fantastic and beautiful example of how exercise can really help us um, deal with tough things and work through difficult stuff. Um, you know, when we're given that time to ourselves and, it, and it's become self-care. If you would like to send in your train happy moment for the listeners to hear, then please do email us trainhappypodcast at gmail.com or you can direct message us on Instagram where you should also definitely follow us as well. You can find us on at trainhappypodcast on Instagram and we would love to have you there. So just before we get into hearing from today's episode with Andrew, I just want to say that we're having a bit of a technical issue with my audio in this episode, but I believe that the topic is so important and Andrew really said some important things that I want to put this episode out. So please bear with my audio in this episode and we will be working on it um, for future episodes that it's all corrected. Um, But without further ado, let's hear from Andrew. Andrew, welcome to the Train Happy podcast. It's so nice to speak to a fellow PT and yeah, how have things been for you um this year and how are you doing right now right now things are going pretty well and in terms of the whole year it's definitely been up and down it's given me a lot of time to reflect on a lot of things that I was in denial about previously and it's just given me a load of time and space on my own to just face few demons so I so for people listening I found you online on um instagram where you have been sharing like your own journey um through recovery really i um and you know in terms of like mental health body image and when i first found your page i was just so struck with a your honesty and the refreshing honesty that you had but b the fact that this was coming from a guy because I am in this space as a woman and I see so much of the conversation um, in the female space and we're, you know, it's become, you know, a common topic to talk about. So what led you to sharing your own journey online? So when the lockdown first happened a year ago, I, I sort of just had to come to terms with the fact that I was suffering with disordered eating I was exercising to allow myself to eat and if I did eat and didn't exercise then I'd like overtrain the next day and just sort of make up for it and I had a lot of body image issues going on but I think I was just using my work to sort of cover it up and then with the gym closing it was like 
nowhere to hide. So I was just sort of stuck at home and it was either basically train at home to eat or just don't eat. And then I'd, it was like, this is definitely an issue that I need to resolve now. It's so interesting that you say you're working as a personal trainer. So how long have you been a personal trainer for? Um, I've been a personal trainer for about two or three years now. Yeah. And so working like in the fitness world, it's so, um, you know, it's normal for people to be, you know, thinking about their physique, their aesthetics, tracking macros, putting food in my fitness pal at lunchtime is really common in the staff room. I don't know if any of this kind of resonates with you and your experience working as a personal trainer, but this is all stuff I saw every single day. Yeah, definitely. Um, and do you feel, what was the environment like at work? Um, I'd describe it as just sort of stereotypical fitness industry. Like you say, everyone just talking about macros, different foods, different training styles. Um, I'd say even like the latest trends in training and dieting. Mm. No one was really sort of pushing it too much, but it was just a discussion that was always there. Mm. I wouldn't say anyone sort of jumped on a trend, but it was like heavily in discussion. And then I find with clients, it was always people coming in and saying, I'm on this diet, I'm trying this new thing, I've read this, is it true, is it false? And there's so much conflicting information. I found it quite tough at first as a PT to almost trust my qualification because there's so much other information. I'm like, even though I'm the fitness professional, is the information I've been taught right? definitely think like even with the personal trainer qualification you become a personal trainer and then you still learn so much through the people you work with through extra training through reading and yeah it feels like a lot like a really overwhelming advice and conflicting ideas and opinions um so do you feel like I suppose my question I'm getting at really is do you feel that that environment um kind of made you become more aware of your training and eating and how those two might um I don't know be be used as a way to earn and burn food yeah so I'd say that during my time doing my qualification I found the whole qualification although it was a valuable qualification to get it was very much you either want to gain weight or you want to lose weight. There was nothing, nothing else was really taught to me about fitness. It was just about weight gain or weight loss and the whole energy balance. And I basically came away from that thinking, do I want to gain weight or do I want to lose weight? And I just figured that that was, that was everybody's goal in the gym. You were either there to gain or there to lose. And then as a guy, most of the time it's sort of deemed that to gain weight is what the men do and to lose weight is what the women do. So I spent quite a lot of time trying to gain weight, gained quite a bit of muscle mass. And then when you realize, oh, now I need to lean down because you can gain all this weight. But the gratification you're trying to get from other men 
it's never there until you until you then lean down and you show the weight that you've gained you show off the muscle and that's where things sort of hit a slippery slope for me because it was just getting leaner and leaner and leaner and i found that the leaner you get there's never a point where somebody says i think you've took it too far you can just keep getting lean and getting lean and getting lean take it past too far and people are still telling you oh you look amazing keep going keep going and it's not until my mental health took a serious dive that I then realized I've took it too far. And it was sort of all on me to educate others that this has gone too far because they just thought, oh, he's just dead healthy and normal. It's so interesting how the external validation of weight loss and the compliments and the like, oh my goodness, how did you do that? Like I... Like, how did you get so lean? Like, what are you eating right now? What are you doing? Like, that can really um, egg you on, really. And I say that having such a similar experience before I was a personal trainer, but, like, losing all this weight, getting super lean and just getting more and more compliments. And, you know, yeah. Similarly, have my own epiphany, not from other people, but definitely, like, myself, like, hang on a second, like, this has gone further than I wanted it to, but it's like you're on the, you get the momentum and you don't know how to stop. Yeah. So I found that although everyone around me was saying so many positive things internally, I felt so bad. And I was always, I was constantly getting ill. I was always coming down with colds or I'd have the flu and just seasonal illnesses just seemed to hit me like a brick. And it took me a while to realize that that was because of how lean I was, how undernourished I was and just how sort of unhealthy I was, I guess. And then when my mental health took a dive, that's where things got quite serious. And then that's when I sort of thought, I really need to turn this around because I'm not just physically unhealthy. Like this is taking quite a serious turn down a path that maybe you can't come back from. It's so interesting how you said people thought you were like the epitome of health. You're the super lean, shredded guy. Um, you know, you'd apparently cracked the code and done what everyone is trying to do. And yet you felt your most unhealthy. Yeah. So the more and more sort of successful I got in my business, I found that the leaner I was and the sort of better looking I was, the more business I seemed to generate. And you'd get so many people saying, oh, I just want to look like you. And can you do like what I eat in a day videos? Can you write everything down for me? I just want to basically copy exactly what you do. And then you sort of get scrutinized when you turn around and say, what I do won't work for you. And then they seem to think you're trying to like hide the secret. And I found that quite tough. It is so interesting how, yeah, the idea that oh I just want to do what you're doing and like share your secrets and like tell me the magical solution do you think did you know at the time that if you told people what you were doing that they might go oh that's a bit like that that was what I expected um I wouldn't say I ever thought about it in that sort of way I used to sort of 
I wouldn't tell them what I was doing because I knew how terrible I felt internally and I didn't want that for them. But at the same time, I just felt like when you hit a certain level of fitness, suffering and feeling terrible is just part of it. Because we learned that fitness equals leanness. Yeah, and I think there's this thing as well of like, you have to like work hard, make sacrifices and be some sort of crazy like crazy level of mental toughness to sort of make it do you did you ever see the quote um obsessed is what the lazy use to describe the dedicated yeah and i remember seeing that in the depths of my own obsession being like exactly i'm just dedicated this is just what fit people do this is what healthy people do this is what lean people do and I'm just dedicated. But actually, the people, <laughs> the obsession, I don't know for you, you, what was the right word to use to describe my relationship with fitness and, and food and my body, like the obsession with checking my body. And um, was there a fear for you? Well, I suppose I'm speaking from my own experience of being obsessed with my own six pack and being scared of losing it. Like, had that been a, I don't know, something that you have been concerned with? Yeah, so it would be, I was constantly like body checking. Mm. So if I walked past a mirror, even in the gym with people around, I'd lift my top and it was sort of like check that I'm still looking okay. And through this last year, through like my own recovery and getting up to a healthy weight. I've lost my abs and that's probably been the most difficult thing to sort of come to terms with because now I look at myself, not all the time, but some days I do look at myself and I think I don't have abs anymore, so I'm not fit anymore, which obviously is completely untrue, but some days you just can't help but think that. When you've been programmed for so long and taught as you said taught on your personal training qualification that you're either losing weight or gaining weight cutting bulking lean you know whatever you want to call it the terminology used that anything else is a failure um i get so frustrated about that and i think it's so interesting that we as you um have said about the idea that the leaner you were, the more successful you were as a personal trainer, that losing that visible sign of, of leanness, of, your, of like your body being your business card, all that kind of stuff. It's like, okay, what do I, who am I now without this identity? Like I, do you feel that you tied a lot of your identity to your abs? Yeah, definitely. So something that I used to say quite a lot I suppose it was like a validation in my own head to be so lean and to feel so bad was that I would always say I am my own advert. And I would say that so often if people said to me like, oh, why do you train so much? Why do you eat so little? Why do you like, why, why do you strive to look the way that you do? Because I don't, I didn't compete on stage or anything. So for some people, they didn't see the point of it. And I would always say I am my own advert. 
And then thinking back now, it seems completely ridiculous because we're in the UK. We literally wear clothes all the time. <laughs> I'm not walking around with no top on. <laughs> it's so true. Especially like you live in the, like, the north of England as well. Like it's even colder there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's so... I, I remember like early days as a personal trainer going with a supervisor of mine going to another gym meeting another personal trainer and he him congratulating this personal trainer like well done you lost weight you're going to get so many clients now and that is the yeah. kind of messaging that sticks with you and I don't know if you've heard that kind of thing in the 60 like oh okay that's what I need to do to be good at my job and yeah so I when I first became a PT I found myself actually googling like how to create a successful training business and these sort of things and I come across quite a lot of articles where it would say, um, always be like practicing what you preach, which I do agree with to a certain de- to a, like to a certain degree. But it would have tips on some of these articles saying like to be always be in better shape than your clients, and always be sort of eating cleaner and healthier than your clients, and just it was like lead by example. But it sort of had a really toxic example of what an example would be, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And when you learn, when you're trained in like leanness as fitness, it's there's no middle ground to actually think about your mental health, your physical well-being, like the fact that you were ill regularly, like those would all be red flags. Um, if you were training a client and you said, oh, it's, you know, perhaps we need to you know, address some things here. If you're constantly getting colds, if you're really obsessing about your food and all those sorts of things, like that that would be a red flag from a trainer to a client. But it's interesting that we, we well, there's a culture where we're meant to hold ourselves to this super high standard that is so unachievable, unrealistic for the normal person. Because do you feel there's an expectation, because I do, that some like personal trainers and people who work in fitness need to be superhuman and almost like above the above the average person because you have attained the perfect body and you are so disciplined and, you know, mentally strong and that showing any sign of weakness about that is means that you're not this superhuman that we've been told we should be you know we should be to other people yeah so I found that especially within men in particular there's sort of like four body types that men sort of describe themselves as so you've got just skinny skinny fat fat and then just if you're if you're anything other than those then you like you've made it you're like athletic and you're sort of like the the sort of model man. This is what everyone should strive to be. If you're any of the other three, you want to be that that one guy. And I find that if you sort of start to look into fitness and especially like with men, sports is obviously a big thing. A lot of men watch football, watch rugby. It's, it tends to sort of be this stereotypically male thing that you love sports 
And so a lot of the sort of fitness idols that you end up getting as a man are generally sports stars. And I personally, I used to play rugby and I personally found myself always striving to sort of reach these like elite levels of fitness, but rather than actual fitness, it just meant the elite level of how they look. And for example, you look at someone like Cristiano Ronaldo, he's absolutely lean. He's like a picture of athleticism. But I don't think people understand that. He's obviously paid millions upon millions of pounds. He's a professional footballer. He's definitely eating way, way, way more calories than an average man would. But we just look at him and just think, I want to look like him. And the general sort of rule is eat less, move more, as they say. Yeah, the the idea that you are trying to, I think that's so interesting. The idea that you want to look like the elite athletes because that's that would be like looking like really fit. But the there's less emphasis on performing like that. Like the performance is always secondary to the aesthetic. Is that what you found? Yeah, definitely. And then I would find that if I was to Google, for example, how to how to train like Cristiano Ronaldo, it would come up with some of his workouts and video footage on YouTube and things. But is that such an elite level? It was things that you maybe couldn't even do. Mm. So you wouldn't attempt it. You'd just find another way to look like him, which would just be to just lose as much body fat as you possibly can. And I think at the end of the day, like I'm not a professional footballer, but if I could look like one, it would know one. Like the people around me don't know that I'm not as fit as him, but I look like him. When you were working as a personal trainer and like with the other guys you work with and, and just that environment, did you feel there wasn't there was more of a pressure to uh, to have an aesthetic rather than the performance was? were people as interested in the performance side of things i'd say in my workplace there is there's sort of like a quite a good balance i struck it quite lucky there Mm. there is always that sort of like banter i guess for sake of a better word between men where everyone will mock each other like oh you've got smaller calves your chest isn't as big as mine i can bench press more than you And there was always that sort of thing floating around. And I couldn't speak on behalf of the other men that I've worked with. But for myself, especially when I was sort of at that point of really struggling with my body image, I've always been a fan of just like running and doing rowing, just generally like cardio-based fitness. I just enjoy that. And although they probably just meant it as a joke when they did say things like oh you've got such a small chest you need to work on your upper body more things like that that did sit quite deep in my in my head for quite a while and I found myself some days really really self-conscious about that I'm so fascinated about the banter thing because I've heard the banter and I don't know like I personally just don't get 
it because it would massively affect me. It would massively affect me. And I think about the other women in my life, you know, we internalize those things so much. And it's really interesting that this has actually reminded me of previous conversations I have had with guys in the fitness and going, yeah, we just, it's just what you say. It's just what you call people. Like guys can just be really savage with with each other and it's no big deal. And it's, I think it's really important to highlight that. Do you think there's a lot of internalization? Well, I suppose you can only speak to your own experience, but you, you did internalize it. And like, it, it was something that you became self-conscious of. Yeah, I think it's quite common with guys that within friendship circles and things, people will give each other nicknames based off how they look. Mm. And it's not uncommon for like, say for example, there was two people both called Joe and one of them was bigger than the other. They would just call the second guy Fat Joe mm. and they would call each other like Fatty and just Beanpole if you're like skinny or something. And it just becomes their nickname and like people often say you you're like a product of I'm not really sure of the words. Is this almost you're the product of the people you spend most of your time with? Yeah, but it's sort of like you become who you believe you are. Yeah. I suppose if people are constant if your nickname is Fatty or Fat Joe or something, or bean pole or whatever you'll just sort of become that person you'll sort of believe that that's you like maybe in, internally they really do want to like lean down a little bit or they're really insecure about their size and because it's their nickname and everything they almost laugh it off they're just like oh yeah no it's just the lads like that's what they call me. That's how it is. I'm the guy who eats all like eats everything. Mm. I think although they're really in a lot of turmoil inside because of the way this sort of like lads circle banter type thing is, they just wouldn't open up because everyone will just sort of go on the defensive and just start saying like, Oh, we're only joking. It's just a nickname. Don't worry about it. And it, the conversation never really opens. It gets closed down very, very, very fast. I think this is kind of a symptom of that idea of the lack of vulnerability with um, with men and the way that um, what people might describe as like the toxic masculinity side where like vulnerability is weakness and don't express your own true emotions and just laugh it off with banter rather than expressing how you feel and yeah is that is that part of that whole you know struggling silently with your mental health and feeling unable to talk about it yeah I think because it's so abnormal I suppose um if someone does open up to you I think as a man in particular, your first reaction quite often, if it's another man talking to you, is to almost take it as a joke, like, are they kidding? And you often find not only is the person who's trying to open up uncomfortable, the person they're opening up to feels really uncomfortable because it's not, it's, it's not been normalised to talk about these things. And you often find the person that you open up to 
they will try to laugh it off to close the conversation down. So they'll say things like, oh, don't be so soft or like, oh, what are you talking about? And they're almost unwilling to get into it. And I think for quite a lot of men, the unwillingness to get into it is off the back of themselves having insecurities that they don't want to talk about. Right? They might, their friend might just be wanting some support but it's caught them off guard and they're now thinking, what if I have to open up to him in return? Yeah. And the just discomfort with like, okay, well, I have to like hold your, like hold space for you to have this conversation, but I don't know how to hold space with myself. Like I say this to someone I should say, I say this as someone like, just because I'm a girl does not mean I um, have it all figured out. And I certainly find it hard to be vulnerable and hold other people's vulnerableness, if that makes sense. But I'm learning through therapy to get better at it. And I do think this is a, definitely like a universal truth for everyone, but especially for men. Have you seen the work of Brené Brown? Have you discovered that? Oh, I'm going to send you this. She's really famous for a TED talk called The Power of Vulnerability. Okay. And then she's also got like a Netflix special and everything. And I'll send it to you because her whole work is about vulnerability and she studies shame and all this kind of stuff. And it's fascinating. Um, And I think, yeah, like, a big part of that of her work is very much like vulnerability is is intimidating but we need to be vulnerable um to have these like stronger authentic connections with people and you know to to truly get to know people and i think um i think they say i think it's like the the biggest killer in the uk is um is suicide I believe that's correct. I, I want to check my stats. It's either the first or second. And I know that 75% of suicides within the UK are male. And that the lack of being able to, to normalise this idea of like opening up about our feelings and truly sharing how we feel. Um might be might be part of the reason men feel that there are no other options yeah and then there's also only 10 percent of men who suffer with eating disorders are actually open up about it within their lifetime wow. so that's 90 percent of men with eating disorders just remaining completely silent do you also think that some men don't know they have eating disorders or they just think, oh, whatever, I don't know. Yeah, I think there's so many different de- eating disorders mm. sort of out there. I think for some people it's hard to distinguish between having an eating disorder and not having an eating disorder. Also because the we get this visual idea of eating disorders are are extremely thin women that happens to young extremely thin women and that's what we know that's what we've seen as this idea we think of it as like you know 
it happening in the modeling industry, for example. And we don't think that eating disorders come in all shapes and sizes. There are so many different types and they can look and feel different. Obviously they've got their similarities, but they will be different for, for everyone. Yeah, and I think to a degree within the diet, within diet culture in particular, sometimes I feel like a diet culture can sometimes be actually selling an eating disorder. So there could be a specific diet. Yeah, so like some (laughs) diets, they literally tell you like, oh, you have to cut all of this out. You're not to eat that. You're only to eat certain amounts of things. And essentially that, that basically is an eating disorder. And I guess whether or not you then develop an eating disorder comes off the back of whether or not you do it for a short period of time or whether you really take that on board. And for a lot of people, I think they do take it very much to heart. And if if they do see results and they start to lose weight or achieve whatever goal that they had set for themselves, I think it's really easy to become tied up in this thought of like, this is how I'm going to have to be forever because they're so attached to this aesthetic goal that they've achieved that they don't want to lose it. So they'll just stick like that for as long as they possibly can. And I think that quite often develops eating disorders. Yeah, it's the perfect storm for an eating disorder when you're unable to process maybe something traumatic that's happened to you or unable to express how you're feeling and, you know, internalise a lot of that. And then looking for a way to cope and channel with the discomfort, you find you discover a diet and it teaches you that when you're anxious, stressed, something bad's happened, you're dealing with something really difficult. In my case, it was grief. I can channel that into controlling my, not even necessarily controlling, but I can just channel that. And if I just focus on my food, my body, my exercise, then, you know, that other noise you know, I I can drown that out for a bit and I don't have to face this bigger issue that I don't know actually how to cope with. Um, And I think, as you say, like diet culture goes like, so we might already be having this like inner turmoil of like, there's, you know, there's big stuff happening and I don't quite know how to process this. And diet culture goes, well, here's a diet. And as you say, like, here's the, here's how, you know, the playbook for, um, this casually, um, not even casually, but um, developing into eating disorder, they say one in four people who embark on a diet develop um, disordered eating, if not an eating disorder. So like that's a slippery slope for one, you know, and it's more frequent than people realise in men and women. Yeah, and there's certainly this, a lot of people when they get into fitness, that's all they see it as, it's just fitness rather than health and fitness. And they just, it becomes sort of the old eat, train, sleep, repeat cycle. Mm. And other aspects of life take such a massive backseat. And I know me personally, I found myself planning my days around exercise and being able to eat and just maintaining this fitness. And it would be even doing things I enjoy, it would be like rushing to get home so I can still make it to the gym or so I can still get the miles done when I'm running. And 
it was like the defining sort of factor in my life of every day that was like the primary goal was to do this exercise and especially towards the worst end of my sort of journey I was finding it was like I depended on exercising because I exercised in order to allow myself to eat and when you so when I was so so lean the hunger is almost unbearable so it was kind of like I either exercise or it gets worse and I found myself sort of depending on that exercise every day regardless of where I was or what I was doing and needed to find some way that I could exercise so that I could then eat and not feel quite as terrible for the rest of the day. How so we mentioned earlier on that lockdown kind of was the turning point for you in going I can't continue to do this yes um please only share what you feel comfortable with but how has the past year been and um what are things like for you now if I was to put it in a bit of a timeline so one year ago when lockdown first started it was sort of day one without the gym and I'd already planned this whole thing in my head of every single morning at sort of 6am, I'm going to run 5k. And then that would like give me the allowance to sort of have breakfast, possibly have lunch if I was to run 10k, for example. So I had this almost thing of like for every 5k that I ran, that would be an extra meal. And that was kind of like the general rule. And I did that for probably a week or two and then realized this is a lot of running. And without the gym, I couldn't really, well, although I'm a personal trainer, exercising in my house just sort of felt like a no-go. It was like, I don't want to train at home. I can't get the motivation. So the only other option I could really see was, was running. And after a week or so, the amount of running just became too much. And I was so tired and my legs just hurt so much. And the area that I live in, it's just hills on hills on hills. So it was just like way too much overload. And then as I saw, I wouldn't say I got injured, but just through soreness and tiredness, I stopped, I stopped being able to run. And they actually replaced the running with doing sort of hit workouts like Joe Wick style in my front room, hit workouts, and I recorded them and I would send them into like my workplace so that they could provide the members with these workouts to follow. And then I started to use that as my like validation of I'll do these workouts and the fact that I'm doing them for these members, for these people, like that's why I'm doing it. And it sort of took away the thing of I'm not doing it to be able to eat, I'm doing it for the members. And it was like hiding it in my head, like replacing it with a new excuse, even though it was to allow myself to eat. And then I did that for quite a long time. And then if you remember last year, sort of around summertime, the lockdown came to a brief end. And then around then, I'd sort of just completely fell out of love with exercise. I almost resented it at this point. 
it was like this awful thing that I had to do every day to allow myself to eat, to allow myself to like be happy, I suppose. And due to the nature of the lockdown and everything, I had gained a little bit of body fat. I still was like really, really lean. But in my head, it was sort of like, I'm going backwards. This is terrible. And I just stopped exercising. I found I just resented it so much. I just stopped. And then I sort of just said to myself one night, I need to tackle this from a different angle. I've got to like actually face the fact that I'm exercising to allow myself to eat. I need to start eating without the exercise and just start to actually like flip this around and sort of fix things. And that's sort of what I've been doing for the last, I'd say, eight or nine months now. And I literally barely did any exercise for a very long time. Sort of set myself the goal of just eat three meals a day. I don't even care what foods they are, just as long as there's three meals a day. So I started doing that for quite a long time. And then December last year, my brother asked me if I would run a half marathon with him and do the Great North Run in September. And I just said yes. I didn't. I, my family didn't really know what was going on at this point with the whole eating thing. So I just said, yes, I didn't want to have to explain anything to him. And that sort of, he's going to absolutely love the fact that I've said this, but that was like the turning point for me of this is a reason to exercise that isn't to allow myself to eat. This is, I'm training for something. There's an actual goal and a purpose to this. I'm going to enjoy it because it'll be with my brother. And I did love running. So it was like just a really good reason to get myself moving again. And then I've just been, since sort of like the start of last month, I've got myself really back into running. But finding that I'm running for the love of running and to do this half marathon with my brother and just to move my body and just sort of enjoy things. And in a way, it sort of helped with the whole eating thing because I'm eating to fuel my body now in, as opposed to just eating because I've done a run. I'm eating before the run, after the run. It's like sort of tied everything together, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's so important, as you mentioned, and I really recommend this to everyone, is taking that break away from exercise especially the exercise that you are most um most related to the restriction and the the punishment it really sounds like you were just punishing yourself every day yeah I'd say running was definitely especially because before the lockdowns a couple of years ago running became quite toxic for me so I I would run and then I was always aiming to run further than the last run. And I found myself getting into ultra marathon distances. So they reached a point where I was running like 30, 30, 40 kilometers, all the way up to like 50 kilometers and even further sometimes. And it was just sort of like this number chasing game of let's run further, let's burn even more calories and 
especially if you run something like 50 kilometers on like a calorie tracker on your phone or on a watch or something, the amount of calories that you burn doing that, it can be sort of like days worth. Um, I presume, well, I don't know what you do now, but I, I would imagine that it's probably like having to like really gently introduce running again and really like working on that reframe, which is very much what I really love helping people with in terms of like making, like trying to separate exercise from what it was to what it could be and, and really figuring that out. Um, because I think this all comes back to, as you said, whether it's the constant need to better yourself by running further, the, the you know, fitness is like how lean you can be or how muscly you can be. Um, those things are commonplace within the fitness industry, commonplace within the narrative that us personal trainers learn, but also perpetuate. And I think, like you say, that those that kind of element around how we view exercise um, for people, you know, who may be vulnerable to it, like that is that perfect storm of like, okay, let's let's um, create this this really strained relationship with moving our body. And as you said, it can be fun. Like I saw recently on your stories, you've been sharing the reasons like why people like to run and like what movement means to them. And it's been really powerful to, to see so many people say like, it really helps with my mental health, like, and all the different reasons. Like, has that really been, has discovering that side of moving your body, I don't know, is, is that really helping you right now? Yeah, definitely. So a lot of the stuff that I post online is, um, most of it's for myself. Yeah. I never really create something with the intention Obviously, it's absolutely great that it does help other people. But my primary intention for most of the things that I create, the questions that I ask and the things that I talk about is for myself to go back out and read over and just see on those days when I'm feeling just down and like things are going backwards and I can't sort of carry on with this recovery journey anymore because you do have those days where you just you miss how you used to be mm-hmm. and I will go back and read the things that I personally wrote and it's kind of like just a really nice reminder for myself and being in this whole community now it's crazy how much support is out there mm. and I used to have a completely separate um, fitness account on Instagram and it, it had like thousands of followers and it was all about like being lean, being ripped, doing all these like crazy, just insane workouts. And I was part of that community for quite a long time. And it was just every time you uploaded a picture, everyone was like, oh, my God, look, you're so ripped. And everyone was just sort of like sending you the little fire emojis. And it was just this thing of like all these stereotypically amazing looking people all the sort of throwing petrol onto this fire (laughs) but I found this new community now which is all so much more health-based and mental health-based and just showing yourself some compassion it's massively helped me yeah 
it, there are some wonderful people online like when you find the right community for you and like you know what you need to help get better and there's some amazing resources and amazing people and you know I so resonate with the whole like I'm sharing this to help myself and I see that in myself I see that in friends I know that like so many of us started doing this stuff like literally to document our own journeys and I think like I said what you're doing is so refreshing and you know I really yeah I just I'm so grateful that you are opening up and and sharing that with people um because I think I think even this conversation and and your your account are really are really going to kind of help people along that journey um and it has been really interesting to see recently people open up about their own experiences like Fleddy Fleddy Freddie Flintoff um, recently did a program about it. I don't know if you're aware of John Waite, the um, he won Great British Bake Off like a few years ago, and he's he's a baker cook on TV. I actually follow him on Instagram. He's great. He's opened up about his own eating disorder and his eating disorder recovery, and I just see these stories starting to be told and shared and normalised. And I hope 2021 is the year we continue to normalize these conversations and, and open up spaces for, for men to be able to really address how they're actually feeling and what, what's really going on. Yeah, something that I found in the last couple of weeks is the documentary that Roman Kemp, mm. when he was talking about his friend Joe, um, there was things in that documentary that, sort of spoke to me on really like personal levels and something that drove me to very recently seek extra help was seeing Roman Kemp himself taking medication for his mental health. I've never like felt shame about taking medication or anything. I know there's a lot of stigma surrounding it but seeing someone like him who you don't expect to have this sort of struggle. And he was talking about how he's been taking it for like the majority of his life. And it sort of drove me to make a doctor's appointment and sort of talk about how things have been going lately and sort of like actually get back on to taking some medication. And I think that it was quite a powerful documentary. I think it's going to help so many men out there who even someone like Roman, who he has like millions of followers, he's a radio presenter. He comes across as such a upbeat person. Mm. And even he's on medication, you know, he has all these struggles. He lost his best friend. And there were loads and loads of men out there who are in just a similar position that they, they probably know another man who's lost his life through suicide and maybe it'll drive them to do the same and make an appointment or talk to their friends more openly maybe get themselves on medication seek therapy or even go to a group like i know andy's man club is uh, that started local to me they've gone sort of national now they're huge they've opening up these talk groups all up and down the country for men to attend 
And I think it is really hopeful for men at the moment, especially with these documentaries coming out, Andy's Man Club doing so much work and just conversations are starting to open up. I don't think it's quite there yet, but it's such a like hopeful sign that it will take off, I suppose. I'll share some of those um, those bits in the show notes, specifically about the Andy's Man Club as well, because I think it's really important that, that if there are men listening, that they know that there are places you can go, safe spaces you can go to. And if there are other people who know that others in their life may benefit from knowing about that that's really good well uh I could honestly I'm so grateful for chatting with you today Andrew but bef- like before we wrap up completely um I'd love to hear like what has been your most recent train happy moment I would definitely say just getting back into running and I'd say the happiest moment for me wasn't necessarily actually doing the running but when my brother asked me if I would support him through this half marathon and it's just given me such a good excuse to get back into running and it's been amazing. Does it feel like a completely different experience now you've kind of worked on reframing what it what it is? Yeah definitely it's like some days I'll get up now and if I don't want to run I just don't run and I still still eat my food and it's just become something that I genuinely enjoy to do that's how it should be as well like for everyone listening like that is how it should be it should be something you look forward to it should be something you do not to earn and burn food not to punish yourself not to you know make it makes you feel better but I, I don't like I think there's sometimes the thing of like if I exercise like I'm a better person and I think it's like you're on your rest days and your workout days, you are just as worthy and, you know, of that self-compassion that you spoke about and the self-care and your food and all those needs need to be met no matter what. And I think it's really important we drive that home. Andrew, where can people find you, support you and follow along your journey? At the moment, it's pretty much just Instagram. So that's at Andrew Stevenson PT. Amazing. And you're still offering your personal training services as well. So I think, um, yeah, you, you are just by living your own journey and speaking your truth, you are, um, I, I hope like opening that door for your clients as well. Hopefully. Um, thank you so, so much. And I hope we get to meet in person and I'd love to give you a big hug. <laughs> thank you so much. No worries. Thanks for having me. And that is it for this week's episode of the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something away from this episode. And if you did, please let me know by sending feedback. You can find us on Instagram at Train Happy Podcast. Or even better, it would be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening, as it really, really helps to support and boost the train happy message. And remember, if you have had a recent moment where this stuff has just started clicking for you, then share your story with us via email, trainhappypodcast at gmail.com. 
to become the train happy trooper of the week. And if you have a burning question you would like me to answer, then please send those in too. And it may be answered in our bonus Q&A episodes. Once again, thank you for listening and I will speak to you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.